We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast, and for the first time on this podcast, I'm saying we're going to Game Seven. Game Seven, Sam, how you doing? Not great, Mike. We just <laughs> witnessed, unfortunately, an embarrassing loss for the Phoenix yeah. Suns. And yes, you yeah. are correct. Game Seven, it's do or die. Yeah, do or die, and that's just, that's just what it is at this point. And it's tough because. Like, part of me is like, well, at least we didn't lose by 40, <laughs> like the Golden State Warriors. But this has been such a weird series for multiple reasons. I mean, for one, it's like each team becomes the other team at home. You know, they they kind of look like the Suns tonight <laughs> in a lot of ways. And yeah. the Suns look like them in the last game. It, you know, it's, it, it's a series that just hinges entirely on home court and i don't know if that's really the case or not or if just each team is is properly preparing based on the previous punch and throwing a counter punch that uh dictates the the flow and pace of the game uh but yeah it's it's nice in this scenario the sun's going to game seven it's nice of them to have home court in this game because that's going to matter the the crowd will be on your side uh but yeah i mean there's reason to be worried i think at this point right yeah i mean i we did a playback tonight again it didn't go great thank you to everyone who joined us there um it was tough so almost i almost want to apologize (laughs) um even though it's not our fault that they turned out that performance but there were so many issues tonight it starts with chris paul though if we have to start anywhere it's unfortunately with chris paul who we were so adamant after the last win uh, especially me, I'll call myself out for this, uh, that there was no issue to be worried about with Chris Paul just because he strung a few bad games uh, in a row together. Uh, and that the example of Phoenix's Game 5 win was one where they just didn't need him to be that guy. That's what I said. And then he comes out, has a performance like this. 
He only takes seven shots in 36 minutes, and that's the main problem to me, Mike, because if you're looking at his shooting splits this series, he's actually shooting phenomenally well, but he's just not shooting. Yeah, He's just not taking shots. Obviously, four assists to five turnovers, huge issue as well. The turnovers have been a persistent thing for a few games now. He doesn't... It's not... It's not like the Lakers series where there was an obvious injury that he couldn't dribble with one hand. It's it, it doesn't look like that, but it's something. It's yeah, something, there's something and, going on. I, there's some sort of fatigue settling in. I don't know what it is, but we were both we hesitant, hesitant to say that he was injured in the last podcast because uh, I don't know. It's just tough to judge based on the previous two games at the very least. And, now I understand. I, I definitely think something is up. I, I don't know. It's tough to say because I also think that his shooting has looked fine. And in, in some respects, that could just mean that his upper body is fine. Maybe there's a lower body issue because he's not really finding his way to open shots on his own. Like he's like we've gotten used to him doing. You know, he's not dribbling around guys, snaking the pick and roll, finding that easy mid-range shot with his probing uh, off the dribble which is a huge issue because the Suns rely on that so heavily, you know, having two guys that could create their offense off the dribble is what made the Suns so great this season. And if Devin Booker has an off night like he did tonight and Chris Paul's still not there, there's no way out of it. Like that's the end of the game. Yeah. You know, Booker basically has to be great for them to win. If Chris Paul continues to play like this, which he can do, but expecting him to do it for every game is, is, not very many players can do that. It, you know, yeah. I, he has to find a way to be effective at some point. And even if you look at his shooting splits, right, you're talking about it. He's shooting more catch and shoots now, which is good. Like, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's out of character. Like, it's just not who Chris Paul has been on the Suns, which I think raises a red flag. And like you said, I think we got to hit this again here. That's not the only issue. There are more no, issues no, no, that no, cause no, the Suns no, no. to lose this game. Chris Paul but did th- not lose this game single-handedly for Phoenix by 25 points across the board, with maybe the exception of DeAndre Ayton, who I thought was pretty good on offense at least. They played like garbage. Pretty much everyone played like garbage. So it's not just Chris Paul. Go ahead. The fact that it's a persistent issue that has existed even in wins for Chris Paul in this series, at least the last win, I think is what's the most concerning. And and look, beyond the fact that he was bad in this game, if you can't get what you normally get out of Chris Paul, and honestly, for the Suns to win it all, you expect more than what you normally get out of Chris Paul in the postseason, it's a disaster because there's there's no coming back from that. The Suns just don't have the personnel to overcome that. And, you know, I've talked about it since the last offseason. It just comes with having two guys that can create their own shot. If one of those guys is off, you kind of need two guys to win games in the playoffs still, no matter what. And they struggled tonight. I, I will say, just to say something good right off the bat, I thought DeAndre Ayton was, was pretty good on offense in this game. There were still some lapses, I think, in focus, some weird defensive issues with Doncic just blowing by him and another defender in the third quarter in particular. But beyond that, I thought Ayton was pretty good offensively. And was he the only one? Yeah, he was I think the only he was, one. right? He was the only one that showed up on offense? He was the only one. Um, because Booker, it's it's funny, geez, man. Booker had eight turnovers. He really struggled um, on traps, 
which he has periodically throughout his career. But I mean, you know, we want to talk about whether or not Chris Paul looks injured. I don't think Booker is injured, but his loose handle was was a huge issue tonight. Yeah. So yeah, he really struggled. Jay Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, just overdoing it in terms of this team becoming. It's it's a good thing that they have role players who don't want to be pigeonholed into being just spot-up three-point shooters. I get it. But in the year 2022, to only take 18 threes as a team in a playoff game, you're not going to win very many games like that. And Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges were the main culprits. Uh, Just passing up good shots for them, trying to generate even better shots, and then ending up with things like turnovers in the process. They they combined for two three-point attempts on the game. Um, Cam Johnson took a couple more shots than that, but he didn't make any of them. Landry Shamit followed up his pretty good game in Game 5 with a, an objectively terrible game here in Game 6. Not, not great, man. It was just DeAndre Ayton. It was really just DeAndre Ayton who showed up tonight. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about it over and over again. We don't have to continue harping on it, but Mikael Bridges only getting seven points on seven shots in this game. You need more from him for the Suns He's, to win on the road? He's really frustrating. I know we've said it a million times, but he just he likes to drive. That's great. But then he gets one foot inside the paint. He pivots, spins around, and goes for the turnaround jumper. And you just want to shake him and say, like, I, we get it. We see what you're trying to do. We see you're trying to put a mid-range, versatile like kind of package together that makes you this higher-ceiling player in the future. But you know what? High-ceiling scores in the NBA, they get the easy buckets. They put their head down and drive to the rim, and they get the easy stuff before they they shoot the other stuff. (laughs) They shoot threes, too. No, 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 exactly. Because he turned down those, too. You have to start. I see you in the mid-range. I respect it to an extent, but you got to start with the spot-up threes and the the real— one. And the real rim, uh, dr- the real drives to the rim. That's what you start with, and then yeah. you put the mid range on top of it. The mid range can't be your bread and butter because, to be honest, you're just not good enough at it. You're just not. Yeah, one shot from three, and in, in a game where the Mavs shot, I don't even know at this point, probably somewhere around forty to fifty threes in this game. You can't, you can't do that. You have to at least counter that to some extent. And and Mikael Bridges was one of the best shooters on the team this season. So him turning down threes is not just the team turning down threes. It's also taking away shots that are some of the most effective shots for the Suns. And it's not, look, it's not just that you and I know what he's doing when he drives. It's that the Mavs know. They know exactly what he's doing. They're staying on their feet. They're not jumping. They're contesting well. And they're making that mid-range shot from Mikael Bridges as difficult as possible. And if it's Davis Bertans on you, Mikael Bridges, get to the rim. Get to the rim. It's Davis Bertans. He can't move his feet sideways. One crossover. One has he should do it. And he has that. The first step might be all it takes for Mikael Bridges. So, yeah, I agree. And, look, it's tough to harp on him. Got the hardest job getting bodied the entire game, fighting through screens the entire game. But the Suns just need it. And we've seen it from him before. So he's got to be more consistent for the Suns to be able to win. And we'll see if he does. I think turning down threes was a massive issue. What the what the Mavs are essentially doing, and I want to give them credit because I think defensively they're really solid in this game, is as soon as the Suns drive, they're really closing off as much as possible when the Suns drive. Whether it be Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Mikael Bridges, anyone who's driving, they're, they're closing it off. And then they're contesting hard when the ball swings. But when they contest when the ball swings, it's sometimes late 
but they're still running out, right? They're still running out. And what that means if, is if the Suns do attack those closeouts, they're going to get by them and they can create advantages by getting by them. But the Suns need to capitalize by at times not turning down those three point shots. If the closeout is late, you got to take it. And I think yeah. even though they did a good job trying to make those passes difficult and, you know, making drives difficult at first, then the Suns still have to take threes when they have the opportunity. Also, look, it didn't help that the Suns, even when they were driving and getting the penetration they wanted there with the late closeouts from Dallas, they were missing bunnies. Like, they were getting to the rim and they were missing bunnies tonight. So there is just that issue of, for whatever reason, you have not been able to score in this arena all series long and you hope that the role players play better in Phoenix in Game 7 just as they have done. I can't think of an exceedingly logical reason why there should be this much of a home court swing in this series. It doesn't make sense to me. Home court is something that swings each game by, you know, you want to say it swings a game by five or seven points. That's fine. It should not be swinging games by 20 <laughs> or 30 points. But in this series, it has been. Does that give you confidence in game seven or not? I I, I don't know. Well, like, like Mikael Bridge is one for one from three. And if you just look down the line, three point shots, the starting lineup took nine, 10, 11 only, right? 0 for four from Booker, who took some difficult ones and was just off the whole game. Well, beyond the first quarter, I should say. One for one for Mikhail, one for one for Jay Crowder. That's not enough for both of those players. To get only two three-point attempts from guys who essentially do almost nothing else, then you need them to shoot more threes. Three for five for Chris Paul, and I would say that a few of those came once the game was already over. But then you look beyond that, zero for two for Torrey Craig, who played in this game. One for three from Cam Johnson, who was one for five overall from three. And then you have Landry Shamit, 0 for one, Ish Wainwright, who doesn't count. 0 for 1. I mean, these guys just missed a lot of... Sh if you just look at the bench in general and how they performed, they missed, like, every shot. Those guys just missed, like, every single shot. And the Suns can't survive that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I wonder 
I, I don't think it's going to happen. But JaVale McGee was played off the floor in this game. Are we at the point where Biombo worked for one game, but maybe you just got to commit to going small in the non-DeAndre Ayton minutes now that it's a do-or-die game? What do you think? I don't, I don't, I just don't see how that helps because I think Biombo's defense, the problem with JaVale wasn't his offense, it was specifically his defense. Biombo, I think, even though he didn't play like great tonight or anything, he, he didn't even play well, but he continued to show the mobility, which is something that as a general strategy is something that I believe in and is not too drastically different necessarily from the switch everything defense that you would have if you brought in Ish Wainwright or Torrey Craig to play the five. The advantage of small ball is that you play five out and get an extra guy who can shoot. Unfortunately, Mike, as much as we'd like to believe otherwise, neither Torrey Craig nor Ish Wainwright can actually shoot that well. Can they shoot better than Bismack Biombo? Yes. Can they shoot 35% from deep? I don't know that either guy can actually deliver us that in you know in a game seven setting. So I think I'm sticking with Biombo for game seven and, and I feel decent about that at least. I'm more worried about Shamit. They can also generate turnovers, though, in in those small lineups. I think we saw it towards the end of this game, just being able to. I think Biombo did a great job last game of generating turnovers. Yeah, but ultimately, when you have a big on the floor, you have to play relatively conservatively compared to when you have five guys who can guard basically whatever positions that are on the floor. You can be ultra aggressive because they're just faster at moving their feet. So you can put more pressure on the ball handlers, force them to make decisions but, with the ball, and then jump out into the passing lane and try and force turnovers that way. This this is kind of what's frustrating me, though, man, is that switching, just because switching is progressive doesn't mean that it's not also conservative. It's progressive in that it's the modern strategy that everyone wants to embrace. Let's play five wings and switch everything. But they're not applying that ball pressure. Dallas had 16 steals tonight. Phoenix had three. It's it, it it's a very conservative style actually of playing defense that's not generating enough, you know, chaos. Uh, it built into Dallas's half court offense to counteract them. So, you know, I, I I'm looking at the way the Biz is showing on picks uh, on on screens two games in a row, and I'm I'm looking at that and saying that's one of the only positive nuggets I can take out of the Suns' defense out of the past two games. Like again, they shouldn't do it every time. But they should be blitzing Luca. They should be yep. peppering it in. They should be run, running to a zone sometimes. Like They should be changing up their defensive strategy throughout the game and not just easily conceding these switches that make their defense way too predictable. But I just you think know, the only chance they have to win the non-Luca minutes is to hit threes. And if you could shut off that faucet at the very least when he's out of the game... Then I think you get you at least give yourself a chance because in this game they just didn't do well. They were giving up threes, and some of those were Spencer Dinwiddie off the dribble, which is difficult to defend. But if you're coming around a screen and you have guys that can move their feet fast enough, you can do what you're saying. You can try to blitz things a little bit more. You can show a little faster with guys that can move their feet a little faster than Biombo. Of course, the rebounding is the main thing. But you know, if it's Ishwain, Wright, Tory Craig, and those guys understand their role, I think they could have a chance doing that. We'll see what Monty does. I think ultimately he has choices here, and we'll see what he does. Certainly, I'm just saying that strategy, the let's play more aggressive, let's blitz, let's put pressure on them, and then we trust our rotations on the back end, certainly worked for Dallas tonight. Yeah. 16 steals. Yeah, it definitely worked. And look, part of that was Booker was bad (laughs) with the ball. Like, he just did not take care of the ball. It's one of the worst, I think, one of the worst playoff performances by Booker in general, which is to say that, He's mostly been incredibly consistent this year and last year 
in the playoffs in this game was one of the worst that we've seen him play. Eight turnovers, though, is a, is a disaster, especially when you're also getting more turnovers than assists from Chris Paul, who just can't find a way to get going, as we mentioned up top. Any other things that stand out to you? Do you think Torrey Craig playing more could help at all? He actually was fighting a little on Luca in this game. What did you think of that? Yeah, he fought a little bit on Luca, but I don't I don't necessarily see it as being a net positive over what Jay and Mikhail at their best have given you on Luca. I, I don't I don't really know. I I would stick to the eight man rotation. Well, I guess I guess the main problem, man, is what the fuck are we gonna do about the backcourt? It's like Shamit gave us one decent game. I mean People asked us in the playback, actually, would you play campaign again? I would not. But I don't have faith in Landry Shaman in Game 7. You know, and, and all you need is 10 minutes from someone. All you need is 10 minutes from someone to be this little bridge between Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And ultimately, well, that's what one you thing need, you could do. Ultimately, is what you need Craig. is Chris Paul. Yeah, you could play Craig, but then there's just... And, and then just not play a third guard, you mean? Yeah, basically. You're you're just playing point book in the minutes without Chris Paul. When Chris Paul comes back in, you're playing Could Chris Paul and and wings essentially, and just try to you know play ultra aggressive defense. Same way we were just talking about, and just cut out. But can we just say how big of a disaster that is that the Suns even have to even think about that? Not not to make this a referendum on the off season before the Suns have even lost. You know they could win in Game Seven, yeah. uh, but the fact that they're forced into a position where they can't play Cameron Payne. By the way, Cameron Payne showed signs of not being as good as he was before the trade deadline uh, this offseason. I even mentioned trading him <laughs> as one of the options that they could have had before the trade deadline. It wasn't like he was just all of a sudden bad. He was kind of worse all season. But yes, it's a disaster that they're even put into a position where they could potentially play zero guards off the bench, uh, which is just, it's tough to say. But I could see them doing that, and I wouldn't necessarily mind it. I think to are, are we starting to wrap up now? I can't even tell how how deep into this are. Uh, this <laughs> Eight, would be a, no. This minutes, would be this would be a short one. This would be a, this would be a really short one if we do that. But I think we are slowly starting to get there. So to bring it back around, we can debate the third guard, whatever. We can debate Bismack versus Javale versus Ishan Tory, whatever. Chris Paul and Devin Booker. That's what it comes down to. Your two stars versus their one star and a quarter, if you count Jalen Brunson, maybe. I I wouldn't really count Jalen Brunson. He has plus had some twenty four in this game. He was a plus twenty four in this game. Yeah, and he he had some good moves. Eighteen but eighteen points, two assists, still not still not really star type performance from Jalen Brunson. He just hasn't been that guy all series. He's he's giving you kind of more uh, something in line with his season averages. So you've got two stars, theoretically. They've got one star. Here we go. Game seven. This is it. This is time. This is the biggest stage. And if you lose this game, the slander is coming, and you deserve it, too. <laughs> I'm not going to defend them. I'm not going to defend them if they lose to an objectively worse basketball team on paper and you know, execution-wise if you look at the entire season. Yeah. It's another Chris Paul legacy game. You know, it's it sucks to say, but like, I, like I know that I know the guy's tired. I know he's obviously fighting through a lot of t- fatigue. Hopefully, the extra day that he gets until not having to play until Sunday, even if it's only even if it's an early game, so it's only an extra twelve hours instead of an extra twenty four hours. Hopefully, that helps him get a, a, a little extra pep in his step because I know he needs it. 
but it is a Chris Paul legacy game. And if he can't deliver, the slander is coming. Can I like say one suggestion to help Chris Paul to give him the best chance here? Stop forcing him to guard every single play. Stop conceding that switch for no reason. Every single play. The the Mavs are so prepared for the Suns to switch Chris Paul onto Dontich or Brunson that they're not even they're not even real screens at this point. They're just these fake screens that they're running because they know the Suns are just going to concede that switch and then they start the possession with Chris Paul on Luka Doncic. So as much as we could talk about the issues Chris Paul has had offensively, the Mavs have also done a good job trying to wear him down as much as possible by involving him in every single defensive play when the Suns are on the floor. They have to find a way to not force Chris Paul to do that every single possession. Make somebody else do it. Even if you you find a way for him to fight over it instead of just switching, you have to find a way to take him out of that. Because look, you're right. What matters is him showing up. What matters is Devin Booker showing up. It's a game seven after all. We've seen it over and over again. Yes, it's a platitude, but it is what it is. The stars have to show up. But also, you have to put them in the best positions to show up. And Chris Paul's 37, and he's guarding Luka Doncic, one of the stronger guys in the league, over and over and over and over again. Yeah, got to find a way to not do that. You have to, because it doesn't make sense to concede, especially in the post to Luka. It just doesn't make sense. 100% agreed. All right, you got anything else? I know, I think at this point... We've talked after every game. We sort of beat all the points to death, and and look, they have to play better. <laughs> it, and I know it's stupid to say, but like, they were just unfocused and lazy. <laughs> yeah. In this game, I, I I will reiterate again. Obviously, it's it's mostly a they were unfocused and lazy issue, and not. Uh, there are schematic issues as well, but I would reiterate just like it was disappointing to see Monty come out in that first quarter, end of first quarter interview, and say. We're leaning into the 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 matchup searching identity too much, and we just need to run our stuff and trust our stuff. And it was disappointing to see how that second quarter they continued to just look for matchup hunting and completely fell apart offensively and never got into a rhythm with it. And I know Dallas has made a lot of adjustments defensively, and they deserve credit for that. But that continues to be a key for Game 7, is that you need to play with pace, but you need to run your stuff, and you need to trust in the sets that you've built out and the natural options that flow out of them and not just obsess over, oh, where's Luca? Get him in the action. Oh, where's where's Bertans? Get him in the action. That stuff has its place when you know your star players are already cooking like they were in the second half of game two, but it can't necessarily be something you're you're obsessing over from the get-go because that can play right into their hands as well. And I think this was another game where we saw that offensively. There were many, many issues tonight. That was just one of them, but it remains an issue that uh, I think we need to we need just to call attention to game seven is Sunday. The Suns have two days off finally uh, between games for the first time this series, the Suns and Mavs could play at 1230 Arizona time. If Milwaukee beats Boston tomorrow, we're recording this after the game. If Milwaukee doesn't beat Boston, Boston also forces a game seven in that series the suns would play at 5 p.m arizona time so they could play early or they could play at five we'll know that by friday night last thing Mm -hmm. do you have a last point before i i was just gonna let people know that we are not recording immediately after game seven 
Yes. I am going to allow myself to get drunk watching that game and come back the next day. Uh, and and look, hopefully we don't have to begin talking about the off season after that. I'm not ready or prepared for that. Hopefully we're just talking about the next series against whoever that's going to be. But yeah, go ahead. Do you have one last thing to say? Well, in times like this, I like to channel the optimistic spirit of teams who have been in this situation before. Great teams that got pushed to seven games uh, and were able to persevere. One classic example, shout out Bill Simmons, <laughs> would be the 2008 Boston Celtics, who were pushed to seven games in the first round by a 37-win Hawks team. Nobody remembers that in 2022 because the Celtics won the championship, and that's all that matters. Plenty of other teams have been in this situation before, not just those Boston Celtics. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers a few years ago, the team that went to the finals, lost to the Golden State Warriors in the finals. They were pushed to seven games of the first round by the eighth-seeded Pacers. It happens all the time. You know, like no one is infallible. You're here. Lock in. Focus. Put the work in. Hope for a good performance out of your stars. And you can win this shit, but it's not going to be easy. Kellen Olsen said, Devin Booker said that game seven is the two greatest words in sports. He, of course, said he would rather have swept the Mavericks, but he's excited for the great opportunity of playing in his what very first game seven. That is a crazy look, attitude to have. It's a great attitude. It's yeah. our first opportunity to cover a game seven, which I'm pretty excited for, although I will be a nervous wreck on game day we thank you guys for listening of course once again especially to you guys who listen after losses <laughs> we know it's tough but we appreciate you guys nonetheless we'll be back after game seven the next day we'll be back with our recap of game seven and hopefully talking about the western conference finals thank you guys and we'll be back soon Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.